Just starting to relax and unwind, letting go of the day. Taking a slow scan down your body. Just feeling everything release, soften, relax. Forehead smooth, the jaw. And continuing down the body.
sides. So you've scanned all the way down the body. Just letting your awareness focus on the breathing. If you can, not changing the rhythm. Just becoming aware of the breath as it already is. And if you feel this focus tightening areas of your body, bring your awareness back to those areas, relaxing. And if you can, then back to the breath, but if it brings too much tension, then just stay with the feeling of what's happening in the body. Honoring where your body and mind are right now. your focus, relaxing your awareness, allowing the body to do the same.
your body to soften even more. Relaxing to a deeper level. For the last few moments, may you focus clear and bright, present. And then once you have that, then relaxing, letting go of the meditation. And starting to move when you're ready. dedication. So we have, I have 16 pages of notes tonight, which seems like a crazy amount. I think usually I have 10 or maybe 12 or something. Maybe. Yeah. So I was thinking, oh, we did about the same amount of meditation, but I was thinking of, I think it's Master Shanti Deva's quote where he says, I think it's Master Shanti Deva, he says something like, um, like I meditate a certain amount of time unless I don't have enough time and then I meditate extra. Mm-hmm. And it always, like, at first it's, like, it kind of stuck with me. At first it struck me as just, like, kind of annoying, you know, like, whatever. If I don't have time, I'm going to meditate more. Or, you know, like, I didn't like it very much. But then I actually do that now, and it really works out. It seems like a really good idea when I do it, like, Things kind of rearrange, or I don't know, it works out well. Have you done it too? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, like, for a while, whenever I thought, like, I don't have time to meditate or I don't have enough time, like, I would instantly just, like, at least meditate five minutes. And then all of a sudden, I had all this free time. Like, it just kind of appeared out of nowhere. 
It's really crazy. Yeah. I haven't done that so much in a while, but I do too. It's like, you know. Yeah. Do you practice, like, yeah. Not in one session. Or I thought you were talking about, so you do one session and you can't meditate that long and then you come back later to kind of do a longer one or something. Oh, I take it as, like, I meditate longer in my, in, like, mm-hmm. my morning session. But, yeah, it could be that. That he like adds on extra mm-hmm. during the day too. Yep, it could be either. Okay, we're on class ten. So we decided we're we're gonna start the next course. What April twenty something? Twenty fourth or twenty sixth, the last Wednesday. Yeah. So we got a nice break. Mhm. I think like I would say it's five weeks or something. Yeah, I think five or six weeks. Yeah, that's good. And maybe we'll have something in between if anyone feels it's exciting. Yeah. To teach something. Yeah, maybe um, maybe Pamela or Ryan or Jay or something. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so we're in class 10 of Perfecting Generosity, How to Become a Bodhisattva. And it's Wednesday, March 13th, 2019. And we're going to talk about the perfections of giving and ethical living tonight. root text and author. So what is the root text in Tibetan? Jangchub Senpei Chupa 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 And in Sanskrit? I know. I love that word though for some reason. I know it is. It's kind of hard to say. And who's the author? Master Shantideva. Mm -hmm. The commentary is by who? Gelsubjay. Yep. Gelsubjay Dharma Rinchen. Anyone know his dates? 1364? Yeah. To 1420, something like that? Close, a little yeah, bit longer. 32. Yep. 1364 to 1432. And what's the name of the commentary in Tibetan? It's, it's kind of hard to remember, I think. It's like kind of short. It's And what does that mean in English? the translation? The entry point to the children of the victorious Buddhas. Yep. Mm-hmm. Which is a code word for bodhisattvas. Yay, good job. Last class. <laughs> <laughs> Repetition is like, it does amazing things. <laughs> I still remember um, Jason Mokapa's dates just from doing all these courses like mm-hmm. over and over and over and over. Yeah. Okay, we're talking about two of the six perfections tonight. And then we're going to continue on with them in the next courses. Next two courses. So the six perfections are activities to undertake once you've decided to become enlightened for the sake of all living beings. (laughs) In this class, we're covering the first two, which is giving and ethical life. 
Maybe that's why there's so many notes, because we're doing two. Oh, yeah, that's why. Yeah. He squeezed both in one class. Yeah. I don't remember the audio being that long, either. He must have just talked really fast or something. Um, but who knows? Maybe it goes fast. Sometimes it's like that. So first is the perfection of giving. Say, Jinpei Parchin. Jinpei Parchin. Jinpei Parchin. Jinpei Parchin. And that's giving perfection, which is the perfection of giving. And guess what? There's three <laughs> different categories. <laughs> I don't know why. I like, it's like... <laughs> <laughs> Did I scare you? <laughs> You're like, oh, God. I don't want to see. That's really startling. <laughs> um... <laughs> It reminds me of like when you're driving with someone, you're like, oh God, and they're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> they're like, oh my gosh. You're like, oh, there's just like a cute dog over there. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so there's three categories of giving. The first one say, Sang Sing Gi Jimpa. Sang Sing Gi Jimpa. Sang Sing Gi Jimpa. Sang Sing Gi Jimpa. This one is giving material things, such as food, clothes, shelter, etc. The second, oh, I gotta say some stuff about that, I guess. Um, Gesh Michael tells this story in this class about this student who says he doesn't have to give material things because they're just more samsara. And suffering. And Ken Rinpoche, who was Geshe Michael's teacher, um, got really mad at this because he said, You give them whatever they want. They may not know to ask for spiritual things, so you give them whatever they ask for. Which is helpful to hear because sometimes I think we're like, No, chocolate's bad for them, or, you know, like, I'm not eating sugar, so they're not, they shouldn't have that, it's bad. But maybe they really love chocolate. And so I should give them chocolate. Yeah. Like it, it's not like. And it will relieve their suffering. Yeah. Like not in an ultimate way, but at least in the moment. Yeah. I mean, not like giving them heroin or something, you know, something <laughs> crazy, like that's going to harm them. But, you know, not, not being like a health Nazi with people either. That's the way I, see my, I would see myself doing this one. Um, And this is interesting. Anything you think that you own. So we think we own the things that we have. Um, but if we think about it, do we know that we're going to have anything that we have today, tomorrow? We don't know for sure. We don't know for sure. I don't even know for sure that I'm going to have these pants tomorrow. I'm, I think I'm going to. But I don't know for sure. So everything that we have is like that. So from a negative point of view, we don't own anything really anyways. There's a brief period where we have things. And the point of this is that when we have them, we should give them away in order to serve someone else and do something meaningful with it. So for a brief period, we have this power over certain objects in our life. We might as well use that really well. And I think you can get the sense of, 
of this in a way, like maybe if we have extra spending money or something like that, like I'm just going to blow it on buying something that I really don't need anyways. Uh, I might as well, unless it's something that I'm like truly going to help other people with, I might as well use it to do some good for someone else. I'm, an, I'm spending it like rain anyways, you know, like <laughs> all my spending money is always gone at the end of the month. I spend like whatever I have. <laughs> and most of the things I don't even, I mean, it's great. I'm grateful that I can, that I have some spending money because there's been times when I haven't. But um, none, of, like I can't even remember what the things that I've bought, like, you know, they're not like life, life changing. There is this high lama, I believe his name is Lama Supa, and the student offered him this really expensive crystal rosary. And the student walked away from offering, like, really proud and feeling good. And then a few hours later, another student runs downstairs and says, like, look at this awesome crystal rosary that Lama Supa gave me. Um, and this example is to show us how we should like what we should be doing with our things. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's how we should be behaving with them, like just turning around and giving them away. Especially if we get, if we get something that we know we're not gonna use, and I mean, it's better, maybe not better, but if we're able to give things we're more attached to, maybe that would be more helpful for our spiritual development, but at least give the things that we don't have attachment to, you know what I mean? And in a positive way, if we do that, then we'll get everything that we dream of if we just give it all away. And it, what we need to be doing is planting the seeds for our Buddha paradise, and we want it to be really amazing. And so we're just giving everything away. Um, the more that we hold back, the less we're going to enjoy things anyways. And I kind of find with giving, like, even, I don't know how many years ago, I started giving bigger tips, like, just for a lot of things, like scone. I buy a scone or, like, coffee or, or whatever. I just started giving bigger and bigger tips. And at first it felt like a stretch and kind of hard. And then now it's like, now it's like no big deal. And I have, I have extra money now, too. Maybe it's because of giving more in tips. It could be. So I think that's usually how it goes at first. It's helpful, I think, if we feel like a little bit of a stretch, but we have to know ourselves to where we're not going to regret doing it after. And if we do, then we just adjust. It's not, it's not, you know, it's not terrible. Okay, now Master Shanti Deva, he's going to, Get into some ground rules. I think we're going to talk about them later. Um, basically, like, should we walk out of here and give everything that we have? We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But the second kind of giving, say, min jikpa jimpa. Min jikpa jimpa. Min jikpa jimpa. Min jikpa jimpa. Giving protection from fear. I, I really love this one. I feel like this is one that I haven't, that I hadn't heard anywhere else before when I heard this. 
This is protecting others from harm. Um, not fear giving like thieves would be or muggers or people who are angry all the time. Scary, like you're scaring other people by doing that. Um, examples could be helping bugs on the road who are maybe going to get squashed or if you see worms out or like slugs in the middle of the sidewalk when it's raining or something like that. Anything where someone is afraid helping them. <coughs> and Geshele says that this extends to stress, anxiety, low self-esteem. So if you have friends who are going through a really stressful time or struggling with depression or, you know, whatever, that would include, like, helping them, giving them protection. Maybe just spending time with them and talking with them. Yeah. But, uh, but really whatever works for them, like giving, just giving them the option to, to hang out if they want to or, um, offering to do things for them that you know they need done but maybe aren't fun you know like errands or something like that is that a dog out there? <laughs> there's a dog that barks every class really? <laughs> yeah every class I've not, like, I don't think I've ever, I've ever noticed it not, not this nope. much like this is a lot of barking today but like definitely two to four barks at least every class really? I've never seen a dog in the building <laughs> I mean it might be a dog maybe it's someone having a sneeze attack <laughs> I think it's a dog though. I think so too <laughs> <laughs> yeah every class every Wednesday oh because <laughs> were we like what was that noise or something at one point? oh maybe <laughs> <laughs> okay so then from here Geshe Michael covers a lot of really interesting things in this class too like there's a lot of like I don't want to leave anything out that he went over um, he talked about is it okay for a bodhisattva to use extreme means if someone, I think someone might have asked a question, um, but if someone has a gun and is killing people or something like that, what do you do as a bodhisattva? Master Shanti Deva talks about it later tonight, but basically you have to do whatever you have to do to protect life and other people, even if it requires force, which means protecting the person with the gun too. They're not mm -hmm. excluded from that. If we do something like this, like where you're, you're using force, you know, maybe physical force, or doing something that could be done out of anger or could look like it, your motivation has to be completely pure. pure. That you're concerned about the person doing the harm and you want to help them stop. So it's really, it's really tricky. So what, and this is interesting, what would you do? Think about this first example. If a guy breaks into your house with a knife and you have a gun in your house, which these examples, I mean, he gave these examples in the 90s, but they're probably even more relevant today because guns are way more, like, way more present in our world. Um, okay, so there's that one example. And then at the same time, what if you're making a pie in the kitchen with your mom 
and you have a gun still, and she comes at you with a knife. So what are you going to do? Just shoot her? Like, no, no question, she's got a knife. Just going to shoot her. You know, like, we might think that with the robber that comes in or the person that breaks in. And, mo I mean, most people would try to get it away from her and probably not even, con not even have the thought enter their mind to even use the gun. I mean, maybe you're, like, in a state with open carry laws and you're just carrying the gun with you. But I think most people with their mom, the thought would never even, I don't even think it would come up to shoot her. I don't think so. And so kind of the point is there's so many ways to stop people without hurting them. And the idea is to think of all beings with the same concern or the same kind of concern as you would your own mother. If, you know, for us, that's, the mother can be a little complicated, but whoever you have, like, we're going to talk about that tonight too, but whoever you have, like, open-hearted, like, sweet, loving feeling towards, feeling that way towards everybody. And then the third kind, say, Chu Ki Jimpa. Chu Ki Jimpa. Chu Ki Jimpa. Chu Ki Jimpa. This is giving the Dharma. And this is the highest form of giving. It's giving where you're trying to lead people to have realizations in their hearts. And it doesn't have to be formal like this. It can just be giving advice to someone who asks. And you, it's maybe not even dressed up or in the words of Buddhist study, you know, or Buddhist sutras or texts. Maybe it's just like the idea, spoken in a way that you know can help them. And you're trying to give the realization to someone. It's not the word, like the words that you're using or the text or necessarily the talking. The real goal is that you're trying to transfer things into people's hearts. And then they can produce their own protection and, you know, material things. Potentially they could teach the Dharma to others once they know it. Reach full enlightenment. You know, all these things. And even, um, even wealth comes from good deeds. This was a really good reminder for me today, actually. There's not a finite number of resources, and it has to be, like, there's not a finite number that has to be divided between the number of people on the planet or something like that. It's because some people gave money, and so they have money, and some people didn't, and so they don't. It's just how karma works. It's not punishment. It's no judgment at all. It's simply cold, calculated cause and effect. That's just how it works according to the laws of karma and to Buddhism. And so I think it's easy to get, you know, it's not that, um, I mean, I do think that things need to change in our society in that way. Um, like the, there's 1% of people who own, what, like 90%, have 90% of the wealth, something like that. Um, it's not that those things don't need to change, but why they're like that, that's what, that's what we're talking about here. 
it's not like, um, you know, the kids, there's the whole thing with um, the college tuition, like fraud. Are you guys familiar with this? Okay, so it's the past few days it's come out in the news. There's like all these big, not all these big celebrities, but like very wealthy people who they're being indicted. The feds have arrested people for um, paying and lying to get their kids into colleges. Mm-hmm. And not like, I mean, like one of them is USC and the guys I was working for, they're like, why, why are you going to risk going to prison to get your kid into USC? Like it's not that... Like, Harvard or something, okay, but, mm-hmm. like, anyways, so, um, that can bring up this feeling of, like, these really wealthy people are taking advantage, and, you know, like, why do they have this, all of this wealth, and, you know, like, it can bring up stuff like that, which I was kind of feeling today, and that, and almost like it wasn't fair that there's people who are starving and don't have anything to eat and living on the streets and then there's people who are billionaires like who don't even need all their money but thinking like what is the cause of that it's because of generosity like they've been incredibly generous in the past that's why they have wealth I've been generous in the past that's why I have what I have some people you know there's all varying degrees And it's not anything that I did. It's probably past lives. So it's just kind of what we come into this life with. So there's there's no problem with the distribution of wealth. It's not like that in that way. If all the beings on earth gave enough, everybody would have enough. It's not that um, in a karmic sense that the wealthy have too much and that's why everyone else doesn't have anything. So it's good to remember that because I think it takes kind of like the energy or the anger out of judging all judging other people a lot of times. Okay. Things that make a karmic result more powerful. So we're using giving here. Um, that's what we're going to use as the example. So the first one is that Gyun Du Jawa. Gyun Du Jawa. Gyun Du Jawa. Gyun Du Jawa. This is in a stream, giving, which means doing it in a stream, which means to give over and over again, because mm-hmm. we're talking about the perfection of giving as the example. Continually. So if you have a root llama, It's not that you have to give them some major, huge gift all the time, but giving them something every time you see them is planting really powerful seeds for you. So when you make it a habit to give, that makes it a lot more powerful. Um, The second one, Dumpa Drakpo. Dumpa Drakpo. Dumpa Drakpo. Um, doing it with very strong feelings like intense caring, compassion, fierce motivation, etc. Dunpa means motivation, drakpo means fierce. Is there a difference between doing this in meditation versus actually doing it 
yeah, both both plant good seeds, um, but it's not as though giving imaginally in meditation replaces giving in real life. But it's but it's a good way to practice giving too. So doing both as much as we can. And giving in real life, it doesn't ever have to be anything big. It can just be, it can be something small. It can be like a poem. It can be a flower or, you know, like anything. Like a sticker? Yeah, it can be a sticker. Give me a sticker today. Always give me little stuff like that. Oh, that's cute. I know. You're making such a good karma for yourself. Thank you. That's so cute. (laughs) Who even has stickers these days? Um, so if in the moment when you're presenting the offering you feel deep deep compassion for example as you offer a homeless person money then it's going to be planting a more powerful seed so as you give it to them you pray that they'll become your disciple 3,000 years from now because why why do you want them to become your disciple so they can get completely out of suffering. It's not like you're trying to collect disciples or you're just trying to convert people or something. Because I think to our minds it has that sort of flavor because we're used to that in our culture in a way. But that's not the point. The point is that you want them to be free. You want them to be free of suffering. Um, so as you give them the $2 or 20 or 10 or whatever, you're thinking this. So having a strong intention to lead someone to enlightenment when you give them something. So you could do this with any time you give anybody something. Nobody's going to know unless they're Buddha and they can read your mind. But then that's good. They'll be happy you're doing it. (laughs) And the first of um, disciples of the Buddha, have you guys heard the story of the tigress? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the Buddha is a prince. This is before he's Buddha, or, you know, however you think it goes. Um, He goes out for a walk, and he finds a tigress with her cubs, and they're all starving. They're weak, they can't even move, and he decides that he's going to sacrifice his body so that they can live and be strong again. And so he lays down next to the tigress and waits. But she's too weak to even lift her head and eat him alive, basically. And so he takes a stick and he rips his skin open so that all the tigers can eat. And they do, and as they're eating him, he's praying they become his disciples, and they are his first disciples. So as you give, make it with really strong feelings. And you may not be able to offer much to center or temple or your lama or whoever you're giving to, but you give it with really deep feelings. And actually, I think sometimes when we don't have much to offer, we might feel kind of embarrassed, too. But it is possible, you know, maybe we're comparing ourselves to others. We see someone giving a huge offering. It is possible that your offering, smaller, is more powerful if you have deeper intention when you're doing it. And maybe they do, too. We don't, we don't know for sure, but it's not just the size of the offering that's, you know, going to equal the merit that you earn from it. Three, 
Say me tun chok. Me tun chok. Me tun chok. Doing it as an antidote for the three poisons in your mind. For example, you'd give away stuff towards which you feel attachment, or you give praise to someone that you feel jealous of. So you're doing the opposite. And Master Shanti gave it. Deva gives the example of giving away the things you're attached to, like your MacBook or your iPhone. <laughs> Does anyone have any problem with that? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, an antidote to that would be to think about the downside of being attached to it. If I'm attached to it for some other reason, like it's amazing because of all the dharma I have on the computer or something like that, you know, that's a different thing. And if you could offer it to someone freely, um, then that makes the, the karma much more powerful too. So to overcome jealousy, you could offer praise. If you're really jealous of someone, offer them a lot of praise, see what happens. Um, number four, Yunten Gishin. Yunten Gishin. Yunten Gishin. Yunten Gishin. This is give to a powerful object. So, a powerful object would be your llama, uh, the three jewels. And the example Geshele talks about here is if you go to Sarah Monastery. Um, as Geshele was there, he said they were talking about spending $30,000 on silver cups, which I'm guessing they were like offering bowls. And this is three months of income for the monastery. And Geshele thought this was just disgusting to give up food to, to make some silver cups for the altar. And then he thought about it, and the to think that something like that is disgusting or ridiculous is a normal American reaction. We, like for example with churches, where they've spent a million dollars on a church, these huge churches, um, and then there's a homeless person outside asking for money, and we're like repulsed by it. Or maybe we're just repulsed by the sight of like a really huge church. Especially if we think that the motivation is competition or showing off or something like that. And so we grew up like this and we have serious doubts about it in America. And sometimes they're valid too. But if you meet an Arya, um, a person, you had a reasonable suspicion that they'd seen the direct perception of emptiness or if you'd seen it yourself, at that moment you would think it very reasonable to spend all of your money on making an offering to an altar. It would seem completely reasonable. And just thinking about it, the reaction we have when we see excess in religious spending, in a way it's good um, if we're thinking, you know, like, you know, sentient beings are important. So if we're thinking something's not right, then it's good to have that reaction to excess. But the best way to help sentient beings is to reach enlightenment by having the direct perception of emptiness first. 
and by being around those who have seen emptiness directly. And then when you see it yourself, you'd realize it'd be proper and appropriate to offer everything you had to the three jewels. You could even burn everything you had in the fire, and it would be perfectly good use of the things that you have. And the effects would be immediate, the karmic effects. That's what Geshe says. And really, at this point, just think about it, consider it. The effects would be immediate. The karmic effects. When you do self-care. Yeah. Yeah, like some big gipping. And we have to really understand it before we do it. Because there does seem to be some offerings that are in excess and maybe just done out of competitiveness or showing off. And those are not clean offerings, they're dirty offerings. So you don't have to accept all of this now, but just think about it. Um, and from what Geshe says, this is the fastest way to get yourself out of samsara and to get other people out as well. Okay, number five, say pen dok pe shing. Pen dok pe shing. Pen dok pe shing. Pen dok pe shing. So this one is to give to people who've helped you greatly, such as your parents, who gave you a human body and mind um, with which you can reach full awakening. Really anyone else who has benefited you, especially, you know, especially your Lama, acknowledging this benefit and in the general confession it says your parents actually come before your lama and they start with so in the general confession they start with the five great deeds trying to kill a buddha then after that is your parents and then your lama and the normal american reaction is you know, overall, not really great to this to this kind of teaching a lot of times. It's like, my father, you know, was okay, my mom didn't treat me well, or you know, like whatever it is, there's a lot of, a lot of issues. And so we don't think it's really a big deal. But from what the scripture says, which is true, they gave us this body and mind we had the karma to be born to these two people. We were drawn to them. And with this body and mind, we can reach ultimate paradise. We're intelligent, we're well-fed, we're educated. We all have what we need, and we have it because of those two people. Just bottom line. Bottom line, they gave us the body that we have, the body and mind. And because of that, we owe them everything even if we don't get along with them, and even if they treated us poorly. From that point of view, it's totally irrelevant because they gave you the greatest gift of anything in this life. And giving them, so then giving them a gift is a huge good karma. And it's not like you have to stay at their house forever. You know, you can just go for a night or a day or whatever. And then you go back home. Okay, the sixth is Dunggal Chen Gi Shing. Dunggal Chen Gi Shing. Dunggal Chen Gi Shing. Dunggal Chen Gi Shing. Okay, 
So this one is to give to someone who's suffering or in trouble, someone who badly needs your help. So anyone in real dire need is a powerful karmic object. And I think of, um, maybe just because I've built up the habit, but it's so easy for me to leave a big tip for someone when I go out to a restaurant who's probably doing fine in general. You know, like they don't really need my tip. They're, they're getting tips from all their table. You know, like they're probably doing fine, but then when someone who looks like they're really suffering asks me for something, then I have like more of a block. I don't want to do it. It's funny how it works. Like it's a lot easier for us to give to people who don't really need it. So my sense, that's what this is talking, is talking about. So someone who really needs our help, like, or even just a friend who's really struggling and we know it's not going to be fun to hang out with them. But they, they need our help a lot more than the other friend who's, you know, on top of the world and everything's going perfect for them at the moment, you know? So I think that's what this is speaking to. Let's see where we are. Okay. Moving right along at a snail's pace. <laughs> Let me see. So we have the desserts that Lauren bought, so we have to get to that too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't my idea. I might have thought about it. <laughs> but you went and got them. That is true. <laughs> okay, we'll go over this this next part and then we'll break. Um, so now about prioritizing the perfections. So when there's two options, which one do you choose? Say Jawa ni dom. Jawa ni dom. Jawa ni dom. Action to converge. When there's two options, which one do you choose? Should you give to person number one or person number two? So we kind of just talked about that. You need to prioritize your choices. So if you have the choice between two virtuous activities, like how do you choose them? Virtuous activities. So if you only have five minutes and you're faced with doing the perfection of giving or meditating on emptiness, which one do you do? I know you guys know. I would meditate on emptiness. Because mm -hmm. sure. that is the higher perfection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's what you would do. So it makes it easy to figure out. You don't have to sit there like, oh, what should I do? What do I, I don't know what to do. That's, I think that's a lot of what a spiritual practice is. It kind of decides things for you. Mm -hmm. Or someone needs food and you're going to class, so you have to study more to get to the point where you can see emptiness directly so that people could be taught how to be completely out of samsara. So you would go to class. But be careful that you don't go to the other extreme. We should do all the perfections, but it's just if there's a conflict, you have to go for the higher one. We have to do the higher perfection rather than the lower one if we can only do one. It's not like, oh, I, I think I'm going to decide this today. 
And the same goes for the vows. If you have to choose between one, you have to choose the higher one. And not only do you not break the lower vow, it's tremendous good virtue. So as a bodhisattva, you have to do it. Don't be shy and don't hesitate. The same with your secret vows. They have to come before the bodhisattva vows and before all the other vows you have. And sometimes it's hard because we may not believe in the higher vows as much. And so we'll go for the lower ones because they're more obvious and easy for, like easier for us to grasp. But the higher set of vows is going to help all sentient beings better. And half the time when we think there's a conflict, there really isn't. So in practicing a single perfection, focus it toward a higher object rather than a less powerful karmic object. For example, you'd give to the three jewels rather to, than to a person who doesn't need your gift. So we kind of talked about it a little bit already. If you have to make that choice. Prioritize to do the highest perfection to the most powerful karmic object so that you can get to enlightenment fast. And it doesn't mean that you don't give to the lower objects because you should. We're just talking about if there's a conflict and you're only going to do one. And it's almost kind of a laziness to go for the object right in front of you. The more powerful one is sometimes more uncomfortable because it involves more faith. So you just do it and don't be shy about it. And a good way to prep yourself for that sort of giving is you decide before that it's the correct thing to do, and then when the time comes, you just do it. And then the, higher, the highest thing to offer is what? What's the highest thing that you can offer? Mm -hmm. Your practice, all the goodness you've done, even trying to follow the practices correctly. That's the best gift. So when you get up in the morning, maybe you do water bowls, you can visualize offering your practice. And even if we're cranky and tired for 90% of the day and then the last half hour we remember to practice, we offer that. And, that's, and it's still great. It's still a really good thing. Yeah, I think that's a good place. We're exactly halfway through to stop because now we're getting into ethical way of life. 